Hey everyone, we're just waiting for John Hollinger, our guest, to pop in here today. Thank you for your patience. Uh, we will be live shortly. All right, while we are trying to troubleshoot, John, I will get to some of the questions that we've got in the uh, the comments here. Um, the first one from random user about, uh, is Doc leaving the Sixers? And uh, this has been a topic I think people have wanted to discuss um, and hear about for a long time now, obviously. Um, I think you know, I wrote about this first starting in, um, in March about the thought that Doc Rivers would, in theory, be a top candidate that the Los Angeles Lakers would um, be interested in um, if he did ultimately become available. Um, but I mean, the, the Sixers company line that I've continued to hear is that they are not looking to move on from Doc Rivers and that Doc is not looking to move on from them. Now, there are definitely people on the league who don't buy that, who think that Doc would prefer to be in LA where he can golf and where he can be a figure in the city that he lived in for so long and go to all the restaurants where he knows the managers and the head chefs and all that type of stuff and um, play golf year round. But um, at, at this point, everything I've heard seems to be trending in the direction of Doc being the Sixers head coach. I, I, I could have this mistaken, but I, I do believe him and Daryl Morey are scheduled to speak together uh, to the media this uh, this day, this afternoon. So, I mean, just I, I thought it's a pretty clear, at least public move to show that Doc is the guy, at least uh, in you know the interim here. Um, it's also a twenty four million dollar question where he's got um, eight million dollars guaranteed for the next three years of his deal. And something that I don't believe that the Sixers ownership group, which immediately parachuted down after Doc was let go in Los Angeles uh, from the Clippers in 2020 and threw him that hefty, hefty contract. Um, that, I don't think that's a $24 million pill they are so willing to swallow. I'd be curious to hear um, uh, from John's perspective, once we are able to get him on here, um, but then again, like, could he be willing to go to the Sixers and, and, and walk away from that money and, and get something a little bit less from the Lakers in order to have that lifestyle that people on the league say he does prefer? Certainly possible. Um, but at this stage, I am operating under the assumption uh, that Doc Rivers is going to be the head coach still of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, all right. The next question we've got in the comments you know, speaking about the Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers nation says, why is the Lakers front office so stupid? And I'm, I'm assuming that is in reference to uh, all the conversation about all the power figures involved from Linda um, Rambis and Kurt Rambis and Phil Jackson's involved in some type of advisory position and Matt Johnson's involved in some type of advisory capacity. Um, and uh, Rob Palenka has become a bit of an, a maligned figure amongst Lakers fans. Um, you know, this is kind of the leadership structure that has always been uh, present 
in Los Angeles. And I do think, and I wrote about this in my book, um, not to be that chill, but for those who haven't uh, been aware, uh, Built to Lose, how the NBA is taking era change league forever, focuses a lot on the Philadelphia 76ers, but also a lot of Lakers stuff, a lot of Magic stuff, Phoenix Suns, Sacramento Kings, Cleveland Cavaliers, Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, you know, with the Lakers, I definitely um, – I definitely uh, got a lot of word and intel back about that, like, 2012, 2013 time period where uh, Jerry Buss did pass away, and ultimately the, the, the real stewardship of the franchise shifted to Jeannie Buss. And it did seem like you know, a lot of people from Mike D'Antoni's brother, Dan D'Antoni, who was assistant coach on the team there, to front office figures – um, like Clay Moser, who, who stepped away from the NBA. He, he was an assistant coach for uh, Arkansas this year under Eric Musselman um, in the college ranks. Um, you know, they, a lot of those people talked about how Jerry was kind of like the control tower that oversaw a lot of different elements of the franchise, where there was the genie, you know, f- business side that you know, get that, that does open her ear to the Kurt Rambises and the Magic Johnsons and Phil and other former players who, you know, obviously the Lakers love to have their Lakers family. They love to bring back people with ties to the organization. Um, you hear that a lot from this current head coaching situation um, where, uh, you know, the fact that Quinn Snyder was an assistant once upon a time and that Darvin Ham was an assistant once upon a time are things that are purportedly valuable or valued in this coaching search. Um, I mean, the fact that uh, um, Luke Walton was a Laker, I think, was um, a big factor in him becoming the head coach there before he got fired there as well. So... Yeah, that side of things. And then you also, you know, Mitch Kupchak was, was clearly running the front office in the day-to-day of that, of that operation for a long, long time. Um, he ultimately got fired. Um, and since then, you know, the uh, – I'm trying to bring John Hollander back in. Let's see if he's there. Um, but since Mitch Kupchak exited stage left, I mean, there was all this talk about the Lakers wanted to kind of – turn the keys over to Kobe and have Kobe kind of be the the figurehead there. Ultimately, he didn't want to do it. And Rob Polinka kind of became the guy who was obviously Kobe's agent forever and like the clearest, uh, you know, representation, let's say, of Kobe. Um, and, you know, for all the conversation about Polinka not being consistent, ooh, do we have John? Yes. Hell yeah. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Sorry now, about for that. For some uh, reason. Technical difficulty. Yeah. I mean, we're we're like 98% of the way there. You're, you're, still, you're, still for some, you're still for some reason coming through my iPad, not through the, through the mic, but uh, through the uh, earbuds. But that's a relatively minor <laughs> problem of me not being able to speak at all. <laughs> there you go. But you can hear me and I can hear you. Yes. Yes. All right. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up that Lakers thought, um, and then I'll I'll kind of tee you up there. Um, you know, for all the talk around the league about Polinka potentially, you know, not being so responsive to 
other calls from other teams or, you know, the fact that when he was an agent, he had a bit of a reputation for being a strong armor and a bit of an asshole. And maybe that hasn't exactly been beneficial for conversations um, as an executive making trades, reaching out to other agents, blah, blah, blah. Like the Lakers did win a title and I still do believe with LeBron and AD. Now I, I saw Bill Plaschke said something yesterday about, Phil Jackson not wanting LeBron. Like, that's a rumor I've heard as well. Um, but there's definitely Lakers people that I know who clearly think that, I and mean, look at how wide open the West theoretically is right now, the East theoretically is right now. They still believe that when these those two guys are healthy, they're going to have as good a shot as anybody. And it is going to be up to them to kind of figure out um, this Russell Westbrook dynamic and the coaching search and all that jazz. But, um, yeah, I don't know. John, any, any thoughts on the the Lakers front office dynamic and all the purported advisors that uh, Jeannie is opening her ears to? Oh, no, now I can't hear you. All right, you're back now. I'm back? You're back. Okay, that was odd. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you getting feedback from me? No, I hear you pretty good. Oh, okay. All right. No, I was worried because it was, it's, I'm like, go, it's going in my mic, but it's going out my iPad. So anyway, um, no, the, um, it's it's very strange because it feels like the the people who should be making the main basketball decisions maybe aren't so much, especially on the big moves and even on the lesser moves. Honestly, like the whole Alex Caruso thing, like what was that? Um, and and I think that was driven by considerations other than what say basketball ops thought of his value to the team. And so that's just it's. It's hard enough already in this league, you know, having done it um, when you're just focused on your front office and and your basketball decisions coming out of that. But when there's these extra layers of people just kind of extra people who are just kind of hanging on, but who are like in the decision, but really haven't been involved as involved in the day to day or around the team or it just it just becomes so hard because it gets. You, you really end up with a lot of like emotional decision-making, I think in, in that way. And man, I, I, I just think they put themselves in such a tight spot where they have, they know they have LeBron at the very tail end of his prime and he's still awesome, but you have Westbrook in this 47 million. And the thing they should do absolutely is just take their medicine this year, let them come off the cap. And then basically they're free. But I, I just don't know if emotionally they can do that. They can bring themselves to actually be that patient. And you, you just worry about what they're going to do instead. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said to that about keeping him and seeing how they can work around the edges. Um, and I do wonder if part of the head coaching search is about wondering and trying to – I mean, I don't think they're really truly like holding this thing up to try to figure out what the roster is going to look like because it's going to be a while to figure out what the roster is going to look like. Um, but there's other people I've talked to who are wondering if – or it's at least been brought up, like, if Westbrook is going to be there or if he's not in, in this coaching, in these interviews and these conversations they're having. Man, we lost you again, John. You still got me? I got you now. Uh, that's weird. Uh, yeah, the thing I was saying was, it was, is it like Westbrook's deciding the next – like, helping them decide the next coach? Like, he's going to be that level of influence? I don't think he's the one – making that influence. But I, I think his general presence is a big factor in the decision. Yeah. 
I don't think it's like the critical decision. I don't think it's the most critical factor. I think it's something that is being at least discussed and, and talked about. Man, it's, I mean, you have to be real about the fact that he's your, what, like fourth best player if everything goes well. I mean, it's LeBron and AD's team. Like, that's just, that's just what he, he I don't know, man. They're just, yeah. they're, it's a sunk cost and they're trying to, bring it up from the bottom of the lake, but I, it's not how it works. Um, before you got in here, I was talking about the Doc Rivers situation um, in Philly, and uh, you know they're meeting right now, actually, Doc and Daryl with the press. And uh, Maury was asked, apparently, if Doc Rivers would be the coach next year, and he said yes. So, I mean, that's something I was just saying before. I, I really don't think that's going to change. Um, I mean, there are people around the league, though, who continue to say Daryl doesn't want Doc to be there. Doc wants to be in L.A. So, I mean, we'll see how this continues to unfold. But it does seem like everyone on the company line privately, I've heard just now publicly, that Doc's going to be there. The $24 million left on his deal seems to be a pretty big factor. What's kind of your sense or what do you think about that whole situation? I mean, I, I do wonder if they got in a situation where the Lakers are willing to give them compensation, if they would be like, okay, <laughs> you know, that, that that's the only one I wonder about. But short of that, I, it's, it does seem like, as, as you said, it intimated earlier. And now I think they're reaffirming that, that they'll at least go forward for a little while longer with, with, with what they have. So I mean, really, who was who was Philly turning to as his, uh, you know, as his replacement? I I don't know if D'Antoni is like the right fit for what they have there. And I mean, there are other guys they could bring in. Would who's the guy that's like an who's out there is like an appreciable upgrade on Doc? I'm not sure, uh, especially when they have this much money still hanging out to him. Like, I don't know if he'd have been the guy Daryl would have hired if they had been like a normal organization and hired their GM first. But now that he's already there, I, I do think the, there's a lot of friction to replacing him just because of the, the money he's owed. And the fact that like, I mean, they had the best record in the East with them a year ago. They played pretty well this year even with all the crap they dealt with. So uh, I think people do tend to focus on his. Well, oh, you're back. I'm back as far as I know. I don't. I, yeah. I, I wasn't aware that I ever left, but <laughs> did, I, did I trail out or something? Did I just? Yeah, at one point. Yeah. All right. Um, I've never had this issue before. I wonder if it's an Android or iPad thing, but we're gonna keep plugging along. Um. All right. So yeah, I mean, I think logical topic here to discuss with you is the Grizzlies um, and you know whether they win tonight and extend the series or not I, I think um, is you know kind of irrelevant honestly to the next question that I have for you because starting around you know after the trade deadline I, I there's really kind of a dearth of, of stuff to talk about from like a rumors or transactional perspective right like the transaction windows closed until the draft can happen until teams are uh, um, out of this out of the season and they can start to actually look ahead to the um, to the playoffs um, but when I started canvassing people on the league asking what are topics I should be exploring for next summer pretty mm-hmm. much 
everyone I asked would say, well, the Grizzlies could have three first-round picks. Now they only have two because of how the um, standings ended. But people would say, no, the Grizzlies could have three first-round picks. They could end up clearing max cap space. Like This is their offseason to actually go out and make a big swing. And then when you ask – when I've asked Grizzlies people about it, and, of course, whenever you ask team people about their team – kind of have to take some things what they say with a little bit of a grain of salt because they don't, I yeah. mean, it's not like they want to fully show all their cards, but also other people who work closely with them in other front offices and, um, and know Zach Lyman pretty well say like the Grizzlies, that's the complete opposite of their MO as we've seen, you know, they've bought, they've built this thing pretty organically and slowly in that, like making a big swing to go try and get someone like Bradley Beal or Zach Levine or Jeremy Grant or whoever, Obviously, that was a sliding scale guy. Um, but to make some type of big swing wouldn't necessarily be like the Grizzlies' MO. What, what say you about that kind of like conflicting idea that this is the best time for them to take a big swing, but it might not be in their DNA to do so? Uh, I, I think there's two things there. What, one, I, I agree that they're probably have, they probably have less inclination to make that swing than some other people on the outside might want them to make that swing. Uh, I also wonder like who's out there for them to even swing for. Cause I, I do think one of the things that's guiding them is they still look. Don't have you, John. <laughs> right. Am I back? You're back now. I kind of lost you right from the beginning of that question. <laughs> you said the thing that's guiding them. And then that was it. Yeah, I made an, an incredibly insightful point, and I can't remember what. <laughs> um, no, the uh, I, I I just don't see them going after uh, a, a thirty year old uh, just to raise their short term win. Now, uh, I I don't see that happening even before the Laker pick, uh, you know, vanished into the ether on them. Uh, I I just don't think that was really in there in their mindset. I, I mean, to me, the type of swing they'd be almost be more inclined to take is like, Oh, let's take our two picks in the twenties and like D'Anthony Melton or somebody and trade ourselves up to 10 and, and take another swing in the lottery. Like that, that to me is almost more the type of, the type of thing they're thinking about in terms of uh, the types of swings they can take with, with the assets they have. I'm, I'm just, I'm just not sure that like that, you know, three first round picks and whatever for Rudy Gobert. Like I, I just don't see that one uh, being, being kind of in there, how they're looking at the chessboard. And uh, I think I said this before I cut out, but like if somebody who was like 25 and really good came available, that's a completely different story. Then, then, then I do think they, they go after that. Yeah. You know, Cause like Miles Bridges is a name that people have talked about being that him and Jaron Jackson are very close friends from their Michigan State days. But, like, even when I brought that up to someone with the Grizzlies, they pushed back on that idea thinking of how expensive he would be anyway. And the fact that, like, even if they – just because they had this window now – just like just because they have $100 in their pocket doesn't mean that they got to spend all 100 in that sense. Yeah, they they also are looking at being a very expensive team basically two, three years down the road once Bain and Morant get extended. And so I think they're a little mindful of that. Uh, I could almost see them doing doing something a little different, and maybe 
like not not being the team that is taking swing big swings this summer, but maybe at the next trade deadline. Like if you think about if you bring back Jones or Anderson or both on kind of inflated one year deals, which is another way to manage their their money, then you're in a pretty good position trade wise to to do a lot of different things because you're sitting on this big expiring contract. Um, and it's and it's not for like a, a dead guy either. It's like for a player who can actually play. Um, so you you can go a lot of different directions from that in season. Because when you look at what's like what's out there this summer for them to go after, it's like yeah, make some bloated offer sheet to Miles Bridges and maybe the Charlotte matches it anyway. And I the, the, that. Big swing move almost that fits them and what they are and where they are right now is almost not even out there for them to pursue, let alone let alone the discussion of whether they would pursue it. But I, I they're like they're not going after Lillard or Beal or somebody like that, you know, even though Beal would be perfect because they got a street right there named after him and everything. <laughs> and people talk about Memphis being somewhat close to St. Louis and Brad's hometown as being whatever, but they're not like. <laughs> It's not Philly and New York, or even like Philly and Baltimore. Even like it's a, it's not exactly a a neighboring town for. It is a Memphis. it is a featureless four hour drive, Jake. <laughs> um. All right. So I mean, to bring it more present day with this series, um, what what's kind of been the reasoning that you think, or what is the reason that you would think for why they'd be able to to win three straight and overcome a three, one deficit here. I think, well, I, I mean, I think it's unlikely, but I think having Bain Brooks and Adams back at a hundred percent kind of, I don't know if it offsets losing job, but it, I mean, compared to where they were earlier in the series, they have, they have more shooting and more kind of players who can guard golden States perimeter players out there. And so I do think it's it's changed the matchup for them that way. I think they figured out some ways to defend Golden State, too, that have been working. I mean, they're just not guarding Draymond Green, and they're doing it in a way where they're not getting killed on screens either, which is usually how he beats uh, teams who try to defend him that way. And so I, I, that, I thought that game five was really interesting. I mean, total no-show by Golden State, obviously, but – yeah. Just the way Memphis was able to get into them defensively, and and if they if they can get out, they're really good in transition, even when Ja isn't playing. And if they can get out and and get some easy points that way, because the half court offense is still is still pretty rough, uh, then then they have a chance in 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 all of these games. And well, you know, the, obviously the one game five, but they them them winning six and seven doesn't become crazy at that point. Like I I still think Golden State's going to win. But this isn't going to be a, a cakewalk. Yeah, I mean, I got no reason to believe they probably won't pull this off tonight at home against a loud crowd. They'll probably be a little pissed off about what happened in Game Five. Um, but I mean, it is it is such an interesting clash of styles now that Stephen Adams has been kind of resuscitated. Um, and it is interesting to me, you know, especially with, we were talking about the draft earlier with you know, their picks and what they could do. I mean, the, the playoffs are the playoffs and they take up so much of our attention and the conversation and the noise and the narrative for, you know, two, three months, the finals end, we get to the draft 
And sometimes I feel like, not sometimes, every year I feel like in talking to people on the league and talking on podcasts and radio shows and just like fans in my everyday life, it seems like people start to forget about the playoff picture that they just saw and the type of players that are successful in the postseason. And um, it is interesting to me that the playoffs kind of really are it's never been more clear to me that they really are just a different – it's a different league altogether. You know, the 82-game player versus the 16-game player as a whole, I think, like, general nonsense concept being that, like, there are guys who can play in certain matchups and not. But is that – like, how much is, is that something that you think is on the average executive's mind when creating a roster now about can this guy play for me in the playoffs versus just getting through the whole 82-game gauntlet? I think it depends on where you are, too, because, like, so I'll give you a perfect example. When we signed Kyle Anderson, uh, who's actually, he's had a pretty good series here, but uh, I had somebody in the media say, well, you know, what about what about the playoffs? You know, he's not a great shooter. He might be a guy who gets played off the floor. And I, I was like, dude, we won 22 games the year before. Like, what? <laughs> Like, if 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 him being if him being an issue in the playoffs is the biggest reason for us to not do this, then we did something right along the way. So uh, I, I do think for some teams it's a bigger issue than for others. I mean, certainly when you look at the top eight, ten teams in the league, they have to be thinking all about what's what's going to be done to us in a playoff series. I, th- I think the Clippers have been really smart, for instance, in terms of how they've built their team to. Uh, be resilient to certain playoff matchups. And I think we saw that in the Utah series last year, especially. I mean, Utah, for that matter, uh, as much as they've struggled the last two years in the postseason, they reshaped their team in the wake of a playoff loss when they just couldn't shoot straight against Houston. And they just decided we're not we're not going down that way again. So I, I do think, especially for those top teams, it is something they think about a lot, but I'm, but for 20 other teams, I still think like the, just the, the general talent grab is much more important because they just aren't good enough. Right. It, it's just, they, they need to get to the point where they can worry about how they match up in a second round series and they're just not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the jazz definitely brought on Rudy, Rudy Gay, for example, to try to be their small ball five that they had in their back pocket in a situation where Rudy just wasn't being as effective as he could be. And, like, yeah. it just didn't work out. I mean, I don't even know if he played a minute in that. I didn't watch that series too, too closely, to be honest, like, against the Mavericks. But he, he certainly wasn't a, a key factor. So even sometimes when you do play that calculus and try to look ahead, it doesn't actually even work out. Yeah, absolutely. You can get you can get a little too cute with that stuff, and then yeah, you still have to get through eighty two games before you get there too. Um, someone with the Sixers just randomly texted me, "Damn it, another second round exit." <laughs> uh, <laughs> was not expecting that. Um, all right, so is there like the combines next week? I'm headed to Chicago, getting ready to be. I mean, I've made a lot of calls, just trying to kind of gear up for all the conversations and the lunches and the coffees and the beers that will be had. Um, it seems like most people in the league being creatures of habit that they are like, they're, they're really discussing right now all the turnover that's happening on coaching staffs and front offices, because obviously they're looking for their own gigs, right? Um, there was the change of assistant general manager in Minnesota that I believe uh, John Kaczynski was the first to report. Um, there's stuff happening in Phoenix's front office and 
Um, and we've got the obvious head coaching search in Charlotte and LA, and there's talk about other things that I'm not going to say publicly at the moment. Is there, um, is there something that like you're kind of most intrigued about right now, or is it really just the playoffs and you've got your feet up on the couch and you're kind of analyzing these matchups? No, I mean, I'm, I'm actually going to go to Chicago too. So yeah, I'm, I'm diving pretty hard into all the draft stuff and publishing my own evaluations and whatnot. So it's, it's that time of year. And it's, it's funny though. I, I do think, because uh, you talk to people in the league, and they're obviously all, <laughs> as you put it, I mean, this this is your, you know, when you're on that side, like this is your job. Of course, that's the thing. That's one of the things you're thinking about. Um, but I think from my perspective, it's just really focusing heavily on kind of the the league's transaction se- season that's coming up. Uh, I do think we're going to see a lot of trades on draft day, for instance. Uh, I do think we're going to see some players move around. I think free agency has become much more interesting than we thought when we just yeah. figured like James Harden and Kyrie Irving would just get max extensions. Right. And now there, there's a lot of doubt there and people are trying to figure out what Portland's doing and what Washington's trying to do. And, and just, there's a lot of different pieces now that I think we didn't necessarily expect. Zach Levine's another one. Like, is he, is, you know, how free is his free agency? I think everyone assumed he'd be back in Chicago. And now I think there's at least a little bit of, uncertainty there maybe yeah i was talking to a cap guy a lot last spring about how last offseason the last free agency was going to be the summer of sign and trade and honestly i just think that every summer now is going to be the summer of sign and trade like the the overall super aggressive nature of front offices that are trying to truly compete um like managing your cap at this stage of, of the arms race of the league with multiple guys on max contracts at the same time in this kind of super team era that we're in, like we don't really have too many front offices anymore that are just so far behind the curve of having a cap guru to just crunch your numbers and really take a, a razor to all the little margins and things you can do. Um, so for a while, even like two years out, like, you know, two years ago, people were looking ahead at this summer and saying, oh, it's not that big of a class. Like, there's not that many teams that are going to have a lot of space. But, yeah, the draft trades, I think, are going to be a lot, especially with, you know, Memphis we talked about has got two picks. OKC, um, I believe, has three picks. Um, the Spurs have multiple picks. Um, the Hornets have multiple picks. There's going to be a lot of teams that can move up, that can, that can move down. Um, there's a lot of teams that still are going to be just like we saw at this trade deadline that, you know, there weren't that many sellers because with the way that the playing tournament worked, there were teams like the Kings and the Pelicans who were making big moves to try to get into the play-in picture. You've got teams like Chicago who had a pretty great year. You mentioned the Zach Levine free agency. Like, even if they do bring him back, like they're going to have to make tweaks to try to get back to the top tier of the east that they thought they were before the injuries hit a team like minnesota that broke through this year like now now that now the expectations are on for them to improve like i think the fact that there are so many teams in the league from you know even below minnesota like charlotte and cleveland and even below them the the knicks like a lot of teams want to be better the wizards you mentioned who the bradley beal is the biggest thing but they need to probably find a starting point guard too like there's a lot of teams that have to work on the margins here and get creative within the complicated 
you know, situations on their books to get just like that much of a hair better in order to try to get to the next level of their goal. Yeah, and then the other thing that hurts that sign and trade market a little. I mean, the 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 league has done a good job, I think, of making being in the luxury tax distasteful. And the ban on sign and trades, I thought, was a good example where teams who go above the apron don't have that option anymore. And I think it's really constricted some teams from some of those teams from doing some things they might have wanted to do. I think you know, I think the Lakers are a good example. The Clippers mm-hmm. have kind of worked around it a little bit by saying, okay, well, we'll trade for Robert Covington right now then and, and just extend him, right? Um, but you, you've definitely seen that get in the way of some things that teams might have might have wanted to do. Uh, so it, it's made it a more competitive environment, I think, for, for everyone. Um, it, you know, we didn't even uh, talk about it, I don't think uh, – like what is what does Milwaukee do if they end up losing this round or the next round? Um, are they, are they going to have some or feel some pressure to to push push in a different direction? And they you know they're another team who's kind of doesn't really have a lot of flexibility right now, and and they're you know they're looking at you know signing trades become really hard. Like I was talking about because they're probably going to be above the apron or do they have to do deals to send money out just to be able to take somebody else back in? It's a, it's a very complicated game of Jenga when you, when you start working with the cap and the tax and some of the, some of the rule constraints. There aren't a lot of teams that have this free flowing flexibility this summer, which is going to be curious to see if um, OKC, OKC was being, you know, obviously mentioned all the time as this boogeyman of, oh, you could just dump your contracts there, blah, blah, blah. That, that didn't actually happen at the trade deadline. Um, so I'm wondering if that will end up becoming a real player this offseason where um, you might have to send a pick there. Or Philly's got their 2025 pick sent to OKC with some top five protection. Like, do they move that protection or, or free it or give it up all entirely to try to get some more flexibility their, their way. Um, it's, I, I am starting to, to wonder if that's going to end up being a real factor this summer too. Yeah. There's just not a lot of places to dump money when you don't have teams with cap room. Um, and even the teams that do have room, like I, it's like is San, San Antonio will have cap room, but are they really looking to use that room just to take on a dead contract and a draft pick? Uh, you know, I think probably not. They, they, I think they're probably a little too good to play that game uh, right now. Uh, you know, Detroit maybe, but I think like Detroit would much rather sign somebody, right? Like they want to go after like a Jalen Brunson or, you know, if they can't get him, like, I don't know, Tyus Jones or something, right? And get like get somebody in there around K. They don't, they don't want to just take a guy somebody else doesn't want just so they can get the 13th pick. I don't think so anyway. So I've been pitching this idea to a lot of people around the NBA. I'm curious for your take. What about a sign and trade? The numbers have to be worked out, but on the general framework is Miles Bridges for Jeremy Grant. Man, I would, I would want a lot if I was Charlotte to do that. Yeah. Uh, So you're getting picks from Detroit basically. Yeah. Some salary pillar too. Maybe like, I have to look at the numbers, maybe like a Corey Joseph type. Yeah, well, you're right. There probably has to pay Bridges what he wants to make. There probably has to be a little more sweetener. 
Um, so you could argue you could you could do that deal twice or kind of win that deal twice because you could do the bridges for Grant and get assets for that. And then halfway through the season, you could trade Grant again before he hits free agency. Uh, but I, I don't know. Again, Charlotte is kind of one of those teams that I always joke about that is like all in on getting the eight seed every year. And so mm-hmm. I just I just don't know if they have it in them to like take that step back to even if it could move them forward two or three years down the road. I, I think they're much more inclined to like be the team that just pays bridges. I would agree with that. Um, but purportedly they want to make defensive changes, which is was communicated as a major reason for firing James Borrego. And now they are by pretty much everyone I've talked to. It seems like D'Antoni remains the front runner for that job. I do think Kenny Atkinson is a very real threat there too. Um, but doesn't exactly seem like they're, they're. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's yeah. an odd, odd way to zag, right? After you say, well, this is our, you know, is our defense. And that was, that was everything that was the problem. And now we're bringing in, uh, D'Antoni, right? Like, who's a fantastic coach, by the way, but just his whole career, like his impact is at the offensive end. Um, yeah, I would, I mean, to me, they like, they have to get a center. That's the whole thing. If, yeah. if Rudy Gobert becomes available, like, do they, is that the one they push their chips in on? Or there's been various talk about Christian Wood there, but I like, he's bad enough defensively that I'm not sure he really changes anything for them. Uh, but I do, I do think any any five that becomes available, the first thought is like, okay, Charlotte, and that that's really where they where they need to target their energy. And then, okay, while we're on Charlotte, let me ask you about another one: uh, yeah. Gordon Hayward for Russell Westbrook. Well, it'd be really funny considering Frank Vogel. I just learned yesterday interviewed for the head coaching job, uh, so I wonder what that would uh, <laughs> be. But no, I mean that's an idea that's been out there for a while, and I think it would be. I mean, look, the fact that Gordon hasn't been healthy um, for the last two years has also played a big factor in why they didn't make it out of the playing tournament. So, yeah. Um, that's. The, I mean, I, I think the Hornets would have some type of motivation to explore looking to move him. I think. I mean, a lot of people in the league say that they've heard that Hayward would look to play, would like to play elsewhere. His people have denied that, but obviously they're probably going to deny that. Um, so who's to say what the real truth is there? Um, but the Westbrook deal, to your point about the Lakers just keeping him, I mean, it'd be massive to add him in and then have massive uh, financial flexibility next summer with him slotting off your books. It'd be pretty fascinating if they made that move. Yeah. I mean, hey, so Hayward's got the, got the extra year, right? At like 30. Um, yep. But, but he gets the, I mean, the Lakers save money this year. They would get a, a trade exception probably. Although I guess there has to be another uh, small contract coming from Charlotte, but they might be able to do some shenanigans there. Uh, it's, it's really interesting because like you're, a healthy Hayward, I mean, he helps the Lakers a lot, right? He helps them way more than Westbrook does. But just now you're you're pushing this out again another year. You're taking yourself out of cap room for 23. There's So there's a lot of negatives to think about, too. It's a, it's my favorite fake trade right now, I think. It is a favorite one. Um, so you, you kind of jumped my gun. I usually like to ask the guests as we wind down if they have any questions for me. Do you have any other questions for me outside of your uh... – it's only fair. I asked you a bunch. Do you, do you have anything you want to turn the table around with? <laughs> um, what's what's uh, what's a what's a question that's 
that's bugging me. Uh, what, okay, <laughs> let me let me throw a random let me throw a completely random one out there since nobody ever talks about this team. When when does Orlando like try to kind of be good? Yeah, I mean they're what eighteen months or so removed from the trade deadline of twenty one, where they decided to go full rebuild tank to kind of extend their own leash, right? And they, and they all signed yeah big extensions that I believe is through twenty five twenty six. So they tanked this year. They got Marco Fultz back. Jonathan Isaac should, in theory, be back. Like next year should probably be the year that they try to take a step forward, right? Um, I'm just. Like in my book, the 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 Magic's time period of that, or the Magic's timeline in that time period where you know they trade Dwight Howard in the same fourteen deal that got bought to Philly, which started the process. Like, yeah, the Magic were a whole year ahead of the Sixers in that in that regard. They, then they moved Tobias Harris, moved JJ Redick, but like, I think the biggest flaw that that front office had during that time period was drafting Old Depot, who they tried to maybe turn into a point guard, and then the very next year. Um, they, uh, uh, they brought in Alfred Payton, who was also kind of a tweener and didn't really have a shot. And they had Aaron Gordon and Tobias stepping on each other's toes. Um, I feel like they're in the same exact boat right now where they've got Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs and RJ Hampton. And then on the wing now, they've got Wagner and Isaac and, and Marco Fultz is in the point guard equation too. Um, and they have this Wendell Carter, Mo Bamba, Bull Bull, like, you know, just, mishmash like I am kind of worried a bit uh, to be candid about like how seamless all those players paths can be together because they're all just trying to get better at the same time but they're not necessarily like good at that spot and they kind of have a negative at least from my understanding kind of has like a negative impact on everybody at the same time huh that's interesting that they're kind of eating their own young a little and it could be like I mean, Bamba is a really interesting decision for this offseason. Like, he wasn't bad last year. Like, he, he yeah. had a pretty decent year. But at the same time, like, are they better off just committing to Carter, just bringing a random veteran back up, whether it's re-signing Rolo or whatever, and just saying, you know what, our, our, we're Carter and Wagner, like, we're in on those guys. Like, that's just who we're rolling with. And then we'll, you know, let's, let's deal with the rest of the roster now. Uh, I, I think that's a really interesting dilemma. I think – their guards, it's an interesting situation because kind of it, it is similar to that to that Oladipo paint thing a little bit in that like right now none of them are really good enough and none of them really shoot so well that you're afraid of them either. And so that creates mm-hmm. other other problems. Um and like, you know, Fultz was really good when he came back late in the year, and Anthony definitely was one of the league's more improved players this year but he's still like a streaky shooter he's a bad defender like there's not eh. like what what is there that you can like sink your teeth into other other than Wagner who was really good as a rookie and say okay here's a guy who will definitely be starting for them five years from now yeah it's a very weird situation um and I mean they have theoretically a really good player development guy in Jabal Mosley there to uh to put it all together, but it's, I think it's a big, especially like where the league is at right now and for the magic in theory to get to the next step, like they're going to have to leapfrog Charlotte and Cleveland and Atlanta, who's, we, we didn't talk about them, but the Hawks are a team that I'm like, 
really circling on my notebook sheet, whatever, to see what type of offseason they have. So yeah. um, it's going it's gonna to be pretty fascinating to see how that team or any of those teams can really emerge from the pack and become like the next Boston, Milwaukee, Miami. If you want to put Philly in that conversation, like Toronto is next in line, you know, before any of those guys too. So um, it's going to be hard. Yeah. I mean, for, yeah. for, for Orlando, like the first step is just like, get off the mat. Like, can we, you know, can you go 33 and 49 one of these years and like have, a, you know, have a little bit of a pulse and create some optimism that way? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be interesting. The offseason will definitely have a lot going on. Um, John, thank you, man, for popping on here. Really appreciate it. Sorry again for the technical difficulties. Um, yeah, but... no, no problem. There was a, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, rookie mistakes going on here on this thing. Uh, so it's all good, but yeah. The problem was between the chair and the keyboard. <laughs> well, thank you, man, again. I uh, hope to see you next week. I'm sure I will. And uh, yeah. see you travels, man. All right, cool. I'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks, everybody.